Stanford University. The Clayman Institute for Gender Research at Stanford University, creating a more equal society for women and men through data-driven research and public education. So what I'll be talking about today, much of my work uh, has been around uh, technology, masculinity, men's love and passion for different forms of machinery, digital technologies, and I've written books like Men and Their Machines, which is basically <laughs> or, uh, masculinity, power and technology. So it's been very much connected to that strong, strong symbolic association between men and machines. Uh, to both historically as well as contemporary, both in Sweden and Malaysia. I'm an anthropologist by training and did my first field work in Sweden and, and felt sort of a need to become a real anthropologist by going somewhere else besides your native country. So I went to Malaysia and written a book on, on Chinese mechanics and their relation to and, and sort of interaction with cars, uh, motorcycles and so. And then I came across, when I was working at the University of uh, Sci University of Science Malaysia in Penang, in the northern part of the country, I came across, uh, well I just went over to the computer science department and realized that, my god, here's um, over half of the names of, uh, on the offices are, uh, are women. So that sort of intrigued me, and, and then I got a bit of money for starting up this project. And, and what I'll be talking about today is, is a paper which will be uh, uh, published in Social Studies of Science this, this December, I think. Kind of come. So um, you can approach it there. Um, anyway, what, and what my paper is about is sort of that old concern about um, or the, um, the problem name of this paper is really this old concern about the inclusion of, of women in science and engineering, which many of you in this room, not least, of course, not least London, know uh, enormously much about and written, written extensively upon it. And as we know, the women's participation in science and engineering varies a lot around the globe. But it still seems to exist, as a colleague of ours, uh, Vivian Lagerson, who's also been here at, at uh, Clayman, uh, writes that there still seems to be a lingering notion of an all-compassing culture or masculine culture of, of uh, science and engineering uh, that tra sort of transcends time and space. Um, so by using empirical data here from Malaysia in the context of computer science, what I'm trying to do is to sort of trying to open up for a more cultural and not least historically situated analysis of the gender and technology and gender and technology relations. And I'm also drawing on, on sort of new theoretical interventions in the field of gender and technology studies. I won't say much about that, but, um, but with the, my Malaysian case here, uh, exemplifying the core of my argument, I argue that gender and technology relations need to be more uh, or need to more thoroughly investigate gender and technology relations in a cross-cultural cross context and perspective. 
and not looking at different forms or configurations of masculinity and femininity. And so what I do in this paper is, is uh, both focusing on the relational dependence of male and female categorization in gender relations and emphasizing that gender and technology relations are always deeply embedded in cultural context which shape the use design as well of course production of technologies and not least the co-production of, of gender and technology relations. So of course in this I draw uh, on, on earlier research like Vivian Lagerson's work but I'm also, it also, my work also differs in the sense that I or my aim is to empirically analyze uh, specific aspects of Malaysian culture, history and society in order to understand or to illustrate this sort of cultural embeddedness of gender and technology relations. Um, just to say a bit about this called woman problem as Vivian talks about, meaning the exclusion of, of women and in science and engineering, and as, as many of you know, this is something which has been thoroughly investigated over the years. Um, and in spite the fact that women now are becoming the majority of the student population at most universities around the world, um, the relative absence of women is sort of still remains puzzling in, in a, number of different ways and does not least concerned information technology um, where the relative lack of women is seen as a problem as well as the predominance of men is regarded as the norm and we've had a number of explanations over the years that learning environments are not friendly to women um, Computer science grew, grew out of the military and its aura of combat and war has never attracted women. So there's been a number of explanations over the years and as also we see throughout history, men has of course uh, placed themselves in, in central positions and technology has been associated with masculine values or whether that concerns machinery or digital technology, that's something we see throughout history. So it seems, at least in the Western world, that little has changed, and there's even fewer women in computer science today than in the late 1980s and in the early 1990s. Uh, however, if we sort of look beyond um, the Western world to developing countries such as Malaysia, we find a growing, today we do find a growing number of studies that diversify this picture. Um, so, and what we see is not that the position of women in computer science, and I would say generally in the IT industry, um, in new rapidly um, transforming digital economies such as the Philippines, Brazil, of course, Malaysia, Vietnam. We do get sort of hope, at least, for an emancipatory concern for a more gender-balanced division of labor within this field. And the fact that in Malaysia, women's education and their position in, in computer science uh, 
departments and I would say generally in software employment are equivalent to those of men, undoubtedly of course contribute to such a relative optimism concerning gender and technology relation in developing countries. Hi. So, and in this paper I'm drawing on really three I mean, fairly recent critical interventions uh, in, in, um, in gender and technology studies. I won't say very much about the two first here, um, but what I'll be focusing on is, is very much the third one here. But we see a new wave of critical thought in feminist technology studies in general, I would say, and which originates from a combination of, of sexuality studies material semiotic studies and post-colonial approaches. And these studies very much point to, to the need to address sort of a wider range of analytical themes in order to sort of capture these inherent complexities and ambiguities of gender and technology relations around the world. And of course my analysis in this paper follows up on this call to address non-Western gender and technology relations. And there are, of course, then a number of critical consequences to, to such a focus. As Francesca Bray, the historian who's uh, based in Edinburgh and sinologist, uh, says that um, in focusing so closely on the gender and technology nexus itself. Feminist technologies that I sometimes neglect deeper lying ideological dimensions within which any regimes of truth concerning gender and technology ultimately must be understood. So, at least to me, this speaks to sort of furthering the gender diversity in gender and technology studies and opening up for more cross-cultural interventions intersectional understandings and we, and we can see a huge spectrum of gender subjectivities in relation in gender and technology studies and this of course also relates to to the black boxing of gender and gender in, in, in gender and technology studies which I won't say very much about or I won't say anything about that. Anyway, um, I would say that um, and my, my, I guess my point here is really that, that studies of gender and technology relations and of technological change in general constantly require attention to how gender as well as class and race are often instigating changes in the social and, and cultural balances, well in many nations but in my specific case here it's, it's Malaysia. So, um, let me see it. Yeah, um, um, I'm going sort of slowly moving over to my, to, my, to the, the empirical case, but the Malaysian case is, in, is interesting for gender and technology studies because after gender ratios, gender ratios we see in computer science and in information technology sectors of the Malaysian industry. For instance, women constituted 65% of the students at the School of Computer Science at the University of Science Malaysia, where I've been 
sort of been going back and forth since uh, really 1997. Um, and it, it consisted of 66% of students in computer science in, and information technology at the University of Malaya during 2001 and 2002. And then we can go back as early as the 1990s. We can see that women comprise 51% of the student of the total uh, student intake in computer-related courses in tertiary institutions. And among the master students in, in my specific uh, investigation, among the master students and PhD students at USM, over 50% were women. And there's also, we also see a very high percentage of women in the professional ICT sector, although um, Malaysian labor force statistics are not broken down according to, to specific educational attainment as such. Women comprise 44% uh, of professionals and 39% of, of technicians and associate uh, professionals. So, I mean, there's, there, there are high numbers all over. And of course, these gender distributions are noteworthy and very encouraging in terms of, of gender equality. And in many ways can be regarded as a possible catalyst for change in a de developing country where at least substantial portions of the, populations are, of the population are now reworking their social and, and ethnic identities. And in the, in the um, uh, contemporary sort of grand narrative of, of a specific Malaysian modernity, uh, we also must understand that this is, and now I'm getting into my sort of explanation soon, but uh, we must understand that this is a very fragmented society uh, and where sort of emerging and, and substantial middle, middle class is conspicuous. And this emerging middle class is sort of portrayed as a symbol and hope for, for moving beyond a tradition which is in this country very, very much marked by sharp ethnic div divides between the three major groups, which are the Malays, the Chinese and the Indian, and the Malays, which are the indigenous, will I, uh, comprise approximately 58% of the population, the Chinese, 27 and the Indians, 7. Um, and we've seen uh, over the last decades, we've seen various political measures and programs such as the new economic policy in 1971, the new development pro program in 1991, which is sort of aim, aim or aims to strengthen the national economy and to unite the, these countries, the different ethnic groups. And, but still, we see a number of ec economic divides um, that, that uh, sort of divide, well, that divides the, the ethnic groups. And much of the country can be understood in relation to this National, national Balancing Act, uh, which is trying to promote uh, interracial harmony between these different groups. But, uh, this is in this balancing act, Chinese and Indian uh, people have been marginalized as non-Muslims. 
while the Malaysian state generally has been promoting what I would call a national culture based on an indigenous Malay culture combined with the quite distinctly Islamic governmentalism as the central feature. Um, and Malayness is usually identified in terms of language, religion and royalty, which is about Bahasa, Agama and the Raya in, in Bahasa Malaysia, and generally excludes anything Chinese and Indian. Um, and this balancing act is, is codified in the ethnic division of an official politics between the indigenous and the non-indigenous. And the, uh, the indigenous, which is the Bumiputra, which in, in Malay basically means, well, it means sons of the soil. Uh, and you would have the non-indigenous, which then is the China and Indian, which is the non-Bumiputra. Well, not sons of the soil. And, uh, and in this sort of national balancing act, this uh, emerging middle class united by relative prosperity and technical development has at least the potential to, to become a sort of a powerful symbol um, and a contravening force in, that, in this still rather shaky ethnic and racial balance of contemporary Malaysian society. And, this, um, and there is this, a nationalist rhetorics, uh, and not least the politics, where you would have, I would say, an almost an obsession with modernity through technological development and not least information technology and information technology have highly, highly positive connotations. And it's generally seen as a major source of both national as well as individual empowerment. Um, and this is manifested in a number of different ways, but not least in something called Vision 2020, which means that the country will be a fully developed country by 2020, or Vabasan Duapulu Duapulu. And here they are, the Malaysian state is promoting an idea of creating uh, uh, a pan-Malaysian identity beyond the, the, the ethnic divides, and it's called Bangsa Melayu. And that's really the middle class, and, uh, which is the defining feature of the, this new emerging Bangsa Melayu, pan-Malaysian identity. And it seems very much that the access to what is called a case society or knowledge society and information technology in general appears to be the dividing line between the haves and the not-haves in, in this. So, um, anyway, I'll, um, I'll come to my um, investigation or the empirical case where as I've said, I've been, I've been going back and forth to Malaysia since 1997 doing work on, mostly on, 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 um, on technology and masculinity, slowly been moving over to this case. But, um, so, down to my basic question here, um, why is uh, computer science in Malaysia dominated by women? And it's a huge question mark whether what dominate means here, at least in terms of numbers, we see that women dominate computer science. Whether that actually means that they are dominating, 
the industrial sector of in the information technology might be a very different question. So, but still, I mean, that's, that's something which is... Um, anyway, uh, so in this paper I'm, I'm drawing, or at least I outline five different strands of explanations. And I probably don't have much, I don't have the time to go into all five, but I'd say a bit about the number two, probably number one, two and three if I have the time. But it, this is sort of the, the, the mass of my argument. Um, as I said earlier, this, the, the whole Malaysian nation is sort of um, um, balancing on this interracial harmony between the different races, which is actually called in Malaysia, it's not called ethnicities, it's called races. Um, and which is very symbolically uh, significant. And these ethnic boundaries are sort of manifested through this Bumiputra policy uh, which the Chinese and Indians are disfavored on the grounds of race, what I would say, race negative. While the Bumiputras, the sons of the soil, the indigenous, they have a number of special rights and privileges which is inscribed into the Malaysian constitution. And these rights and privileges for the Malay-related groups are inscribed in, some, in, in the article of 125 and 123. Now, 152 and 153 of the Constitution. And these privileges range from, from, protection in the, from quota protection in the field of education, scholarship, employment, training, business permits, and so forth. Um, the Nanbumiputra sometimes uh, refer to this as kulitification instead of qualification. And kulit in Malay is skin, is the word for skin. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, so this, this special pri privilege of Malays concerned a number of different social areas. But in the area of higher education, it means that the Bumiputra is uh, often are granted special scholarships, uh, free tuition, special opportunities to study overseas and so forth. Um, and the quota system, at least up to 2005, guaranteed that at least 50% of the uh, indigenous were guaranteed places at any, at any education. This has been slightly changed now with um, with the preparatory college year, which is called matriculation. Um, some say that this is, um, I mean, there are now heated domestic debates whether the Bumiputra, well, because the Bumiputras will be placed in, 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 in special colleges and then non Bum is another one. So it is, um, and well, I mean, there is an, this, there's an, this argument and debate whether the Bumiputra College is, is uh, living up to the standards of the non-Bumis. And many critics argue that this is definitely not the case. Anyway, the race-based quota system for university admission is of special interest here, I think, because this special Bumiputra privileges has opened up an arena for Malay girls to study the classics masculine subject of, of computer science. They are favored on the ground of race, positive you might say, uh, and are granted student places that possibly would never have been open without the quota system. Uh, 
And the proportion of, of Malay women in computer science are influenced, definitely, I mean, that's one, they're influenced by this creator system. And Chinese and Indian women are dis, uh, disfavored. Um, and we can also, so in this perspective, sort of race becomes maybe a more pertinent and pervasive social category than gender, and it possibly, and somewhat <laughs> paradoxically, I might say, operates more effect effectively to include women than many other inclusion strategies we've seen so far, or with, at least that we have tried so far. However, in this case, some Malay women are being positively affected by these in inclusion measures, while other women like Indian and Chinese women are not. So, yeah. anyway, so I'm going to, so that, that's one sort of strand of explanation. Uh, uh, second one, which is equally important, is I think that remembering that this articulation of gender, race and class um, in Malaysia has long been informed by state politics uh, or state policies discourses, religious cosmologies, and so forth. And, but at least to me, that this points how the Malaysian public spaces as such are divided by race, class, and gender. And for anyone who's been in Malaysia would definitely see that. It's, I mean, you would never, and it's very few non-mono-ethnic uh, cafes for some example. It's very divine. The public space is sharply segregated. And uh, in, this, in the paper, I'm trying to understand this in relation to the theorist Henri Lefebvre and his understanding of how public spaces uh, can be understood in relation to two, three different forms of spatiality, meaning spatial practices, representation of space, and representation, uh, representations of space. So I'm, I'm sort of tapping into his, his work by, and trying to understand this. And the spatial associations of practices with computers in relation to masculine as well as feminine bodies made sort of, a, or at least to me, made up a recurrent theme in, in the interviews <coughs> and my survey. One of the students, Sahara, who commented, said, IT for me is sitting in an office and do some business. Many men think that the IT section is, is not like real engineering and media. So this remark was also consistent with what almost, I would say almost all the interviewees said, that computer technology is spatially associated with indoor spaces. And that such spaces are suitable for women. So, of course, this then also applies that gendered associations with IT and computer science, um, which, which are very familiar from studies of Western nations, are more or less absent in, in, in Malaysia. But it also, and I think this is important, close, points to the close spatial association between women, office technologies, and indoor spaces. Um, in other words, I would say that the spatial segregation of what counts as female and male spaces seems to precede the use or the gender codification of, of technology as such. 
And actually none of the computer science uh, students that I interviewed uh, associated computer technology with anything specifically masculine, which I think is interesting itself. Um, and rather they were very surprised that this was the case in Western Europe and uh, continuously ask, is that a problem for you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, however, so that sort of spatial uh, segregation is, is important, but, but just, um, I think it would be a sort of a misrepresentation to, to only situate uh, that close uh, symbolic association with, or that at least would misrepresent the hierarchy of bodies which we see in, in Malaysia and the representation in different spaces. So even though computer science were generally perceived as a suitable occupation for women, irrespective of other social categories, and civil engineering was defined as a masculine field uh, because of its outdoor working environments and ex exposure to critical situations such as meeting foreign laborers on construction sites and so forth. Um, still, it seems that even here there's a certain degree of what I would call interpretive flexibility in what counts as, as genuine, genuinely associated with gender, race and class. Um, in the sense that, um, for instance, at, at, the at the dam project on the northern part of the island where I interviewed a Malay male engineer, and he, he was quite frank about that women are engineers are not fit for civil engineering. That is, they are not fit for outdoor work, outdoor work in the hot sun. And at that very moment, I couldn't start wondering about the, the chief engineer of the project, which was a woman from mainland China, who evidently had spent uncountable hours working in the hot sun. And just as he sort of read my mind at that particular moment, he said, well, I mean, the females engineers in Malaysia, engineers from China, they are different. And of course, this, uh, well, this is one of many examples in, in, my, in my materials that show how gender intersects um, with race as a social category that operates through different spatial practices. And of course, then helps men to create uh, spaces on their own and keep women circumscribed by what I would say is a situated body politics with a number of rules or a plethora of rules for what certain women can do and, and much, much more rules what they cannot do. Um, so, um, how much more time do you think? Uh, um, five more minutes. Five, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. um, so, saying a bit about this third strand of, um, of uh, explanation. Um, of special interest here is also how Malay women have entered IT work in general and the related electronics industry. And as many of you may know, before the large, or at least there has been a large scale export 
led in industrialization into Malaysia since the 1970s. But before that, very few Malay women uh, were part of the industrial labor force. But after that, um, when Malaysia opened its economy to the global market in the, in the 1970s, um, generally there were these export-oriented industries were favored, such as textile garments and not least electronics. Um, and at that time, hundreds of thousands of Malay, rural Malay women poured into new job opportunities, partly because of their uh, perceived dexterity and docility. And you, here you have the, the classical image of the nimble-fingered Asian woman working in, in, in semiconductor industry. Um, and that mass recruitment of female, of this female, largely rural um, labor force, both changed the composition of the electronics industry and as well as open up a new labor market for Malay women. And my point here is that this was also making the electronics, electronics industry symbolically associated with femininity. Um, so this influx uh, opened a kind of, what I would say, a representational space for women that was implicitly as well ex ex as explicitly referred to by the students I interviewed. Mm. And among those, there were uh, a number of, of at least 50, over 50% of the students referred to having their mothers, their aunts, or female relatives having worked in the electronics industry in the 1970s and 1980s. Um, and, and judging from the responses, both in my survey and in interviews, um, this was perceived as a particular female labor market. And, um, and, and as Farah said, a 22-year-old Malay female student, student from the neighbor, uh, neighboring state of Kedah, and um, Two of my aunts were working for AMD, uh, two of my cousins for Sony. They all do assembly work. Uh, many women in my kampung, which is village in Bahasa, are going to work, to Penang for work in the factories. And, it's, it's, and, and they usually live in dormitories, uh, small dormitories, go there for a couple of days and go back to, the, to their home village. So. Um, what I also try to make an argument around here is that this, uh, this conscious effort to recruit low-paid women into this industrial sector early on had an influential bearing the symbolic effects of the gender codification of IT work. Uh, and of course as such, the sector came to represent the new industrial segment without the old gendered and racialized associations of the manufacturing industry um, associated with pre-independence days. So in, in, in combination with the general undersupply of uh, we would women power in this case, or woman power in the electronics industry, as well as a general shortage of computer professionals in the IT sector, there has been what might one say a sort of a reversed symbolic uh, gender appropriation 
after Western conception of computing, electronics and IT work in general. Um, but of course, the electronics industry and the IT industry as such has, has also fragmented the female labor force. On the one hand, you have the low-skilled uh, technology employment consist consistent with what I said with the image of the nimble-fingered, docile female worker on the one hand. Uh, but on the other, you have the uh, female professional IT worker and academic. Uh, an independent, economically independent woman living in the big, living in the big cities of Penang and Kuala Lumpur. So you really have that uh, huge spectrum. And that ha what has happened really within a one or two generations, which is also interesting. Anyway, my argument here is that this is a highly charged and ambivalent symbolic space, but nevertheless sort of occupied by a very high proportion of women and this has had a critical impact on gender relations in Malaysia as such as empowering for women. And it's, it's also, I'll just very shortly conclude on, on a note on the fourth one here because that's also, I mean, related to, to I mean, that this, this new possibilities for women in computing and the IT industry of Malaysia. Um, so, because that also goes hand in hand with a long-standing concern with especially Malay men or Malay women that outperform men in Malaysian academia as well as many other areas of society. Um, and this concern uh, point directly to men, and particularly Malay men, and has been, of course, uh, has been publicly expressed by the key leading figure of Malaysia for the last, well, at least in the 1980s and the 1990s, uh, Mahatmir Mohammed, the former Prime Minister of, of Malaysia. Uh, he says like this in in. Uh, quote from the English language paper New Straight Times a couple of years ago, um, which is, I think, interesting also in terms of, of gender relations. In the universities today, over 60% of the students, especially among the Malays, are women and they are studying serious subjects, engineering, science, management, etc., whereas the boys are studying simple subjects which they think they can pass such Bahasa, as Bahasa Malaysia, Islamic studies and social sciences. <laughs> and when they come into government, where are we going to place them? They don't have the capacity to deal with administration. All the women in the universities are studying serious subjects to become the lawyers, the doctors, the engineers and the scientists. They have shown they can deliver, for example, a woman who had been sent to space. Uh, yeah. Well, mm. but, yeah, just to conclude on that, um, it seems to what Mahatma expresses here is, is a very general concern about the underachievement of men in Malaysian society and in Malaysian academia. That, and especially in among Malay men, where still uh, much of their sense of masculinity is dependent on their, what I in this paper term as their relational roles and they're being head of the families and being still in, so in, in a family system, in a quite a, a patriarchal family system where they still are 
head of the families, and they rely on that power uh, and, and are, and generally we see that Malay boys are much less industrious studying than Malay girls. And for many young Malay girls, computer science has sort of opened up an avenue for independence, coming out from well, um, the cage of the family or whatever you want to call that. But that's another important explanation to this, this gap also. And that's of course not something we, we see all over the world, not only in Malaysia, but it's sort of the, the gap between uh, the achievement of boys and girls. Yeah, so I think I'll stop there. Great. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. For more, please visit us at stanford.edu.